passage. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, with me to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to get there shortly. Uh, we're going to take a break from our series that we're doing through Exodus to focus on God's faithfulness today. A uh, message that you can see is entitled, Our Continuing Call to Faithfulness in Revelation 2, which we will get there in just a moment. But first off, let me just say congratulations, LBC. Amen. Give yourselves a hand. 40 years. Amen. <clears throat> 40 years as a constituted church. What a blessing. What an achievement. In my role with the BCMD, I, I, I see a number of churches that simply don't make it that long. There are a variety of reasons for that, but some churches begin and just eventually close their doors. They call it quits. They cease to exist as a church body. Not so with LBC. The embryonic stages of this church go all the way back to February 1st, 1973, when a Thursday night Bible study met in the Maryland Academy of Beauty and Culture down on Fenwick Street in Leonardtown. That church was sponsored by our parent church, Lexington Park Baptist Church. I was privileged to preach there a few weeks ago, and they introduced me as I used to be the pastor of our sister church. Leonardtown Baptist, and I stood up, and I, the first thing I said is, not only are we your sister church, but we are your daughter church, because were it not for you and the vision that God gave you so many years ago, we would have never gotten started. I remember the stories of people who said, a Baptist church will never make it in Leonardtown. I wish they could see us now, amen. Uh, I think we've not only made it, but we've made it pretty, pretty well. And so that began in 1973 with, with a Bible study. Uh, by, by September of, of that year, our Bible study had become a chapel. And it was meeting in Leonardtown Elementary, later moving into the Knights of Columbus building. I remember when I first came to serve here in 2007, hearing stories of how those early members, early believers had to go into the Knights of Columbus building early on Sunday morning to clean up all the beer bottles and all the other debris that had been left from the night before so that they could have a, a worship service uh, that, that morning. Uh, eventually, this plot of land that we are on right now was purchased all the way back in 1974. And on September 8th of that year, just 19 months after that Bible study was started, uh, this purchase, this property was, was purchased. And we began to meet here. The church or the chapel at that time called their first full-time pastor, a man by the name of Chuck McDade. He was called in 1975 and he lived in an old farmhouse that was on the property at that time. And it was during that period that the church constructed what are now our office areas, our youth rooms, some adult classrooms that are over there. The, the, the A building, if you know A building, you're in the B building. The CLC is the C building. So that area over there where the offices in, in the youth area are. As, as a matter of fact, our current youth room is in the old sanctuary. And Pastor Allen's office is where the old platform was. You can go into his office to this day, and you can still see evidence of the old baptistry and where, where people would enter uh, the, the baptistry. The, the, the cutouts are still there, right about where Allen stands whenever he is, is working at, at his desk. In 1981, Pastor McDade left to return to Oklahoma. And in 1982, the church called Pastor Clyde Phillips, who faithfully served this church for the next 26 years. It was under his leadership that uh, the church constituted as a church, or the chapel rather, constituted as a church in October of 1982. And thus why in October of 2022, we are celebrating 40 years as a constituted church. 
Pastor Phillips led this church to, to construct both the current sanctuary where we're sitting right now as well as our CLC building. I came in 2007 and assumed the pastorate in 2008, and since that time, LBC has been able to plant Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, who, if you know anything about that church, is they're going to be entering their own beautiful facility in just a few months. If you've ever driven down Route 5 down in, in the Callaway area right before King's Christian, you've seen it going up and, and the good work that, that God is doing there. In fact, I know we have some folks from Redeeming Grace who are here today, as well as a number of our own folks who are part of Leonardtown who for a season served down at what was then our Callaway campus, maybe even there during the time it became Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. Uh, so I just want to ask, I know one of them is my daughter over over here. She's already standing up with the world's cutest grandbaby. And uh, if, if, if you want to debate me on that, you're fine to debate me. You'll just be wrong. And so, uh, but Hannah's over there standing up. Uh, she's a member down at Redeeming Grace. But if you've ever been at Redeeming Grace for any way of serving, I know most of my kids served down there at different times along the way. We just, I just want to recognize you today. If you would just stand up. I know Wayne, Gary, and Linda were down there for a while. Adam, others. And so if you could just stand up. And so, amen. Let's just recognize these folks. Back in the back, more Hetricks. Amen. Because that work would not have been possible without Leonardtown Baptist Church sponsoring it and doing what they did and people serving and, and, and the joint partnership that, that took place there. Uh, and, and, and that would have not been possible, would it not have been for the faithfulness of many people who have been here for many years? I was talking to Donna. I don't know where there you are, Donna. I was talking to Donna before the service. I think she was here around 1982. I think she was probably, I think maybe at Lexington Park. I think Jay and Jenny, I saw them earlier. Uh, I think they may have, may have already been here in 1982 or may have still been at Lexington Park. But if you were around either Lexington Park Baptist or Leonardtown Baptist from 1982 on. Could you stand today so we could recognize you? We got a number of folks, Anita and, and others and Judy. Amen. Amen. Look at them popping up. Scott and Camille back there, we praise God for you. And we thank the Lord so much for all that you have done to make it possible for us to be here today. When the Lord called me to serve with the Baptist Convention of Maryland and Delaware, we were blessed to have Pastor Jason come in 2019. He's been serving faithfully as our senior pastor ever since. Likewise, we've had faithful associate pastors along the way. I know John Fields and Alan Acker are around here somewhere. John served this church for a number of years, and now he's back in his retirement. And Alan's been here. I think he, he landed whenever Noah brought the ark over or something. He's... <laughs> He's, he's got us all beaten. So Alan's been around for pushing 20 years now. And uh, we're just so thankful for uh, faithful associate pastors, as well as Adam Polk, who served uh, faithfully on our staff here at Leonardtown before we planted Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. And since 2015, he's been faithfully leading that work there. I think about a number of faithful lay elders, as well as non-pastoral staff. I'm going to stop naming people because I'm going to forget somebody, and I don't want to do that. But we have just had faithful people serving this church. And for that, I am so very, very thankful. Over that entire span, LBC has been a faithful church, not a perfect church. I did not say a perfect church. We have not been a perfect church. There is no such thing. We have not been perfect, but we have been faithful. And I believe it's that, that faithfulness is what's ensured our continuation. But church, hear me today. We have a continuing call 
to faithfulness. We have not arrived because we've hit 40 years. We could go another decade and hit 50 years. That'll be a good accomplishment. I remember when Karen and I were first married and uh, we were in North Carolina, the church I served there had the privilege to serve there for eight years. We'd been there about a year and they celebrated their 200th anniversary in 1989, having been established four months after George Washington became president of the United States. That church had been around for quite a while, but we have a continuing call to faithfulness, whether we've been here two years, 200 years, 40 years like us, or 400 years, whatever the case may be, we've certainly not arrived. That's why this church went from a a Bible study to a chapel. That's why we purchased property and built an initial building. That's why we constituted as a church. That's why we built more buildings and planted another church who's now going through those same stages of initial construction. That's why we've had major ministry efforts, gone on mission trips, done many other things as a church body, because you see, until everybody knows Jesus, our work is not done. Amen. And so our work goes on. And it's toward that call to ongoing faithfulness that I want to turn our attention today. So hopefully that's given you enough time to find Revelation 2. If you're still looking for it, please go to the table of contents by now. Look it up. Or let me give you a hint. It's the last book in the Bible. So just go toward the end. Revelation chapter 2. I want to read verses 8 through 11 to set the stage for the four things I want us to see today. And as we have done for many, many years. has been a wonderful custom of this church and, and a powerful one. I want to invite you to stand that we might honor the reading of God's word as I read Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. You'll notice that um, these are red letters. These are the words of Jesus. These, this is one of his letters to the seven churches of Revelation, specifically the church at Smyrna. And this is what he says. He says, write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Thank you. Please be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. This passage before us is the message of Jesus to the church at Smyrna. Years ago, I preached through the book of Revelation, not here at Leonardtown Baptist. Uh, We preached through the letters, I believe, but but, uh, years ago when I was preaching through the book of, of Revelation, I presented the messages to the seven churches as being prophetic of the various dispensations of of church history. And so in that scenario, the letter to the church of Smyrna represents the persecuted church of the second and the third century AD, up until the time that Constantine became the emperor of the Roman Empire and Christianity became the official state religion. Well, that's an interpretation I no longer hold. 
I think it's much better to think of these letters and approach them as, as being messages to seven literal churches that existed in John's time, each with their unique situation into which John was writing. You might note verse 11 in the passage that we read earlier. It says, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. That's churches, plural. In fact, each of the seven letters in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 include that admonition. I, I think that that's saying to us that this message was intended not only for the church that existed in the first century at Smyrna, but also for all churches of all time, not just the churches of the second and third century that were experiencing persecution. And that's not only true of this letter, but it's true of all seven of these letters. Each of them have something to say to us today. They have something to say to every church of every time period. We can rightly say that the church at Smyrna was a faithful church. So this letter to the church at Smyrna speaks to us about our continuing call to faithfulness. That's why I wanted us to consider this passage today. This letter to the church at Smyrna is the shortest of these seven letters in Revelation 2 and 3, only four verses long. Along with the letter that's written to the church at Philadelphia, it's, it's wholly positive. All the other five have some negative criticism that, that Jesus offers to those churches and some, some negative things that, that he says about them, not so with Philadelphia or Smyrna. Jesus has nothing but good to say about the believers that make up the church of Smyrna. That's because they were a faithful church. And so today I want us to consider four things about our continuing call to faithfulness. If you're following along, you'll, you'll see these in your uh, bulletin. You can fill in the blank as we go. You'll see them pop up there on the screen. The first thing I want us to see is that our faithfulness is embedded in a faithful God. Our faithfulness is embedded in a faithful God. The, the seven letters to the seven churches follow immediately chapter 1, where John has this vision of the risen Christ. Now, the imagery throughout the book of Revelation is vivid, and it is rich, but that is especially true in chapter 1. We read about the triune God there in Revelation 1-4. We read about the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Clearly a reference to, to the great I am, God the Father. But look, the very next verse, Revelation 1-5 presents us with Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. The faithful God sent his faithful son to accomplish redemption's work and his resurrection was proof positive of his success. It's the faithfulness of God toward us that serves as the solid foundation of any faithfulness we may have toward him. Throughout scripture, God is presented over and over as the faithful God. By the way, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today, and we're going to do it quickly, and you're not going to have time to turn, so get your pen ready, and you can jot it down, and, and you can look it up later. Let's start. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 7, we read, This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One, says to one who is despised, to one abhorred by people, to a servant of rulers. Kings will see, princes will stand up, and they will all bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. 
Oh, I could give you dozens of other verses. The law, the prophets, the writings all declare the same truth over and over and over. God is a faithful God whose love toward his covenant people is everlasting. I, I, I think of the lyrics of that hymn that we just got finished singing. Great is thy faithfulness. It's based on Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23. It says, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All that I've needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. If God's been faithful to you, can you say amen? Amen. He is a faithful God. That perspective of God's faithfulness continues right on into the New Testament as well. Here's some more scripture. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. We read, God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then Paul, who wrote that, also declares in 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. And then to his young protege, Timothy, the great apostle said this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. I think you were mentioning that earlier, Wayne, if I remember right. You mentioned that verse that even if God is faithful, even if we are faithless, God is faithful. He will always be faithful. And that's just a sampling of the plethora of verses that over and over and over again remind us that our God is faithful. Several years ago, Karen and I had the opportunity to visit Yellowstone National Park. If you've never been, I highly recommend it. How many of you ever been? Let me see your hand. Number of you have. A lot of you don't have your hand up. You need to go to Yellowstone. It, it is a trip worth making. Of course, one of the things that we had to do while we were there is we had to go see Old Faithful, the famous geyser. Certainly you've heard of Old Faithful, the famous geyser that, that goes off like clockwork and, and you get to stand there and you get to watch it erupt. It was a really cool experience. Those eruptions occur on a regular schedule. But I remember when we got there that we walked up and there was a sign and, and it, it kind of amazed me. Because it said something like this. It said, the next eruption is scheduled to occur at 2.49 p.m. plus dash minus 10 minutes. I'm like, well, there's some specificity right there. There's some certainty. We think it's going to be 2.49, but it could be 2.39. It could be 2.59. It could be somewhere in that window. We just don't know. You see, even though this geyser erupts on a regular schedule, there's still some measure of guesstimation of of when that's going to occur. Not so with God. There's no guesstimation with God at all. He has revealed himself as the truly faithful one who is accurate and on time at all times. And because he is wholly faithful, that is why we can be his faithful people. In fact, that's really the only reason that we can be faithful. If the faithful God hadn't saved us by his faithful son and given us his faithful spirit, then we would be a wholly faithless people. We still struggle as it is, don't we, with with our human flesh, with our tendency toward that sin nature that, that still does battle. That's why Paul said what he said in Romans chapter seven about the things I wanna do, I don't do, and the things I don't wanna do, I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who's gonna deliver me from this body of death? 
I thank be, uh, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the faithful one who delivers us and empowers us to be God's faithful people. May LBC continue to be a faithful church because we are serving a faithful God. Never forget that church. Never forget our continuing call to faithfulness is embedded in a faithful God. But the second thing I want us to understand today is that our faithfulness emulates prior faithful saints. That was certainly true for the saints that made up the church at Smyrna. Look at what Jesus told them in verse 10. He said, look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. That word Smyrna, just just listen to the name Smyrna. What do you hear in that? You hear another biblical word. How many of you hear the word myrrh? Gold and myrrh and frankincense. You remember those things? The Magi brought, brought those to, to the Christ child when, whenever he was born. It, it, it's, it's not only just a gift for the infant Jesus, but myrrh was a burial spice. It was used on Jesus after his crucifixion. As a matter of fact, after Jesus died, we, we read that Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body so that he could bury it in his tomb. And according to John's gospel, he did that in tandem with Nicodemus. And look at what John chapter 19, verse 39 says. It says, Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. So I want you to think about the gift of the magi in that context. They show up with, with, with a, a gift of myrrh, a burial spice, and they give it to, to a little child. That's like somebody having a, a child and you go to meet them in the hospital, say, congratulations, here's a vial of embalming fluid. Your child's going to need this someday. You know, they're probably going to look at you like you got three heads. Like, what in the world? Why would you give me this? But what a prophecy that was of why they knew that he had come. He had come to die so that they, they could have eternal life. And so that anyone who would trust him could have eternal life. Now, for myrrh to be useful as a burial spice, it had to be crushed and it had to be beaten down. Only then would it give off the full fragrance of its perfume. You know, through the years, many Christians have been crushed and they've been beaten down. I'm not talking about what we experience here in the United States. I'm, let me make that clear, okay? For those of you who think that we experience persecution, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. It, it really almost makes me laugh when I hear people talk about how they're being persecuted as a Christian because somebody disagreed with them on a Facebook post that they said and said something nasty to them and they're being persecuted. No, you're not. Somebody was just being a jerk. I mean, you know, nobody's persecuting you. They just said something ugly to you. Get used to it. It's, it's the way we do because we've probably been on the ugly side ourselves. We've probably said things that we shouldn't have said, you know, or even more when, when somebody has a post a social media post that they've had taken down and they say it's getting bad here in America folks really bad they're taking down our Christian post that's not persecution I can show you parts of the world where there is true persecution where if you even mention that you're a believer they're going to take your head off they're going to throw you in prison for the rest of your life and believers in certain parts of the world know what persecution truly is but America is not one of those parts of the world But the faithful don't run from struggles. They embrace those struggles and they see them as opportunities to glorify Christ. I share all that so that if you think you've been persecuted because somebody said something ugly to you sometime and you've realized what true persecution ever really is, that it doesn't 
it doesn't disturb you greatly because, you know, that persecution may come. It's not here yet. It may come, and we need to be ready if it is. We need to be ready to endure until the end. We need to be ready to stand for Jesus no matter what. And through the years, that is exactly what the faithful have done. Let me just give you a few biblical examples. Numbers chapter 12, verse 7 says, Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. Moses ran to Pharaoh instead of running away from him. He was an example of faithfulness. He could have just gotten out of Dodge and said, no, let somebody else do that. But instead he went and he led God's people out of bondage. Daniel chapter six, verse four, maybe you remember the, the, the account there. It says, then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government, government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. That's from the New American Standard, the translation there. You know, when most people were running away from God and wanting to hide any belief that they had in God, what was Daniel doing? He was running to God. He was opening up his windows and saying, I'm not ashamed. You can watch me kneel before God and pray to him, even though it meant that he would eventually face a den of lions. And then the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1.12, who said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Listen, Paul could face many things that, that could have made him turn away from the calling on, on his life, but instead he remained faithful to the end. Moses, Daniel, Paul, we could go on and on and on with numerous other biblical examples of faithfulness. We might also consider historical examples. I think of Polycarp, Polycarp, a man by the name of Polycarp, who, according to church history, would actually serve as the pastor of the church at Smyrna some years after these words were being written. Church history tells us that he was martyred there by being burned alive at the stake. And when he was asked to recant his faith, this is what he replied, Eighty and six years I have served the Lord, and he never wronged me. How then can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? We could go on all day sharing numerous examples of faithful saints who have endured unspeakable horrors for the cause of Christ. I'm certainly not saying that we should seek out torture and persecution. I'm simply saying that we have a long, long, long list of examples of faithfulness in the midst of that. The believers at Smyrna were certainly part of that. We likewise have a long list of faithful saints that have enhanced the ministry of Leonardtown Baptist over the years. Time prevents me from going over that list because there are so many. And, you know, if I started naming people, I would surely leave somebody out. But let me just say this. God knows who you are. God knows your faithfulness. And God has seen all that you have done to contribute to the ministry of this body of believers. And while it's true that nobody from Leonardtown Baptist has ever faced the kind of persecution that the believers here in Smyrna faced, it's also true that they unashamedly have, have stood for the gospel here in St. Mary's County for 40 plus years now. We can stand for the next 40 years because no matter what comes, our faithfulness emulates prior faithful saints. Let me hurry and give you two more things before we close today. A third truth I want us to see today is that our faithfulness is encouraged by the faithful word of God. 
Psalm 119, verse 86 says, all your commandments are faithful. Psalm 119, 38, your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful. We might consider 1 Timothy 1, 15, which says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And then Titus chapter 1, verse 9 says that the elders of the church must be ones who are holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. And let me just give you one more. Revelation 21, 5 shows us the one seated on the throne who said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true over and over And over again, the scripture declares that it is the faithful word of God. In Southern Baptist life, there was a time not so long ago in many of our lifetimes when God's word wasn't always considered to be faithful. I remember when I first went into ministry in 1984 that Southern Baptists were still waging what came to be known as the battle for the Bible there was a segment of Southern Baptists who didn't hold to the inspiration, infallibility, or inerrancy of the Bible. If they did speak of the Bible being inspired, what they meant is that it was inspired in the same way that a play of Shakespeare is inspired, or a piece of work by Picasso, a piece of artwork by Picasso, or a poem by Wordsworth, or some other famous poem is, is inspired. But it's certainly not that it's inspired because it's the very Word of God. No, the Bible was presented as a very human book, and being a human book, it certainly came with its share of flaws and errors. Folks, I just don't know how a book filled with flaws can produce any kind of faithfulness in our lives. If we don't hold the scripture as being totally faithful, totally the word of God, there is no basis for us to be faithful people. Speaking of scripture, this is what our doctrinal statement, the Baptist faith and message says. It says, Quote, it is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy, end quote. Totally true and trustworthy. In other words, God's word is faithful. Our faithfulness is encouraged by the faithful word of God. But in conclusion, let's just consider one final truth today, and that is that our faithfulness will end with a faithful reward. In verse 10, Jesus says, Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. That phrase, crown of life, occurs in the Bible only here and in James chapter 1, verse 12, which says, Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This crown of life is the Stephanos crown. That's the Greek word that's used there, Stephanos. It it means the the victor's crown. It's it's distinct from the other Greek word that's often used for crown, that being the diadema or the, the kingly crown. When we read of God having a crown, it's called in the Bible a diadema because he is the king of kings. But when we are said to have a crown as here, it's not a diadema because we're not that kind of a king. It's a Stephanos. We are a victor. We are wearing a crown that shows us to be victorious. 
Some say that this crown is a special reward for martyrs. Others say it's a metaphor for eternal life and thus a a crown that's awaiting all believers. And I do think that there's some special reward that's waiting for those who are uh, killed because of their faith. I just don't think you can get that understanding from simply the word that's being used here. So I tend to favor the interpretation that the crown of life is for all believers. I like what commentator William Barclay says here. He says the crown of life is, quote, the crown which is life itself, end quote. In other words, it is victorious living here on earth, our crown of abundant life that we experience now because of Jesus. But it's also eternal life itself, the, 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 the blessing, the reward of eternal life that we will be given when we stand before God. Throughout Scripture, we're reminded frequently that our faithfulness ends in a faithful reward. Let me just give you a little bit more Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We read in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body. Hebrews 11.6 reminds us that without faith it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And of course, no discussion of our ultimate reward is complete without remembering that Jesus told a parable. In Matthew chapter 25, where the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Listen, folks, a church is only as faithful as the individual members who compose it are faithful. May I say that again so that it sinks in? A church is only as faithful as the individual members who compose it are faithful. So if your life was a barometer, how faithful would Leonardtown Baptist Church be? Would we continue to be a faithful church or would we be going backwards? This church has been faithful over the years, but we have a continuing call to faithfulness. Our faithfulness will end with a faithful reward. I'm not encouraging you to seek the reward. I'm encouraging you to seek the Redeemer, knowing that the reward will come. Listen, if we could summarize this passage in Revelation chapter 2 up, I think we could do it with three phrases. And you see them in verses 9 and 10. I know. I know. Jesus says that twice. I know your affliction and poverty, but you're rich. And then he says, I know the slander of those who say they're Jews, but they're not. They're a synagogue of Satan. Jesus knows. And look, look at the next phrase. Don't be afraid, he says. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. You don't need to be afraid either. And then the third phrase there in verse 9, be faithful to the point of death. Be faithful. I know. Don't be afraid. Be faithful. As Jesus looks at you, as he looks at me, as he looks at any situation any of us are facing, this is what he still says to us today. I know. Don't be afraid. Be faithful.